why are ex-gays such a threat? Why is it so hard to believe that someone can come out of homosexuality? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, if you know one thing about me, you know I'm not an exaggerator. You know that I don't just create things out of thin air or take something little and make it into something big. If I'm going to talk about something, there's documentation, there's evidence. And what I'm about to say may sound shocking, may sound exaggerated, but as you stay with me, you'll find out it's not. The people of whom I speak are perhaps one of the most hated and rejected minorities on the planet and they are misunderstood and hated by the world and often even misunderstood and rejected by the church and people want to deny that they even exist why are they such a threat this is michael brown welcome to the line of fire if you have a testimony a story in your own life of coming out of homosexuality homosexual practice or gender identity confusion, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Yes, I'm talking about the rejected, hated minority that people try to stamp out, claim do not even exist. I'm talking about ex-gays, people who are ex-trans, people who once lived homosexual lifestyles, identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, identified as transgender, and now no longer do, and have found new life in Jesus. Their very existence is a massive threat, and there is a consistent attempt to stamp them out, to say that they do not exist, and and this is why we bring this up today, there is a move afoot worldwide, no exaggeration, worldwide, to make it illegal for you to pursue professional help for unwanted same-sex attraction or unwanted gender identity confusion. Meaning, not just for teens, this has been outlawed in many states already in America and in other places, that if you are a minor with unwanted same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, you cannot get professional counseling, professional help, even with your parents' approval. Even if you've been sexually abused or have some history of molestation, no, you cannot, illegal. Say what? Well, well, we'll come back to the why in a moment. But there is now a global move. It's on social media. It's happening in different countries around the world. It's happening with the UN. I'm going to document all this in a moment to make it illegal for you to get professional counseling if you have unwanted same-sex attraction or unwanted gender identity confusion. And there is a concerted effort to shut down or shut out or silence ministries that help people deal with these things. I have a new article up on the stream, on, up on AskDrBrown.org and elsewhere, my latest article, Why Are Ex-Gays Such a Threat? So let me, let me document what's going on first so you'll understand no exaggeration, no hype, just telling you the truth 
And, and I want to convey to you why this is important for you, why you should care about this, even if these are issues you've never dealt with in your own life or your own family. I want you to understand why this is important for you, for all Americans that love freedom. And in addition to that, I want to talk about what we can do to push back and then explain why this is such a threat. At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to speak with a man with a powerful testimony coming out of a homosexual lifestyle and find a new life, new freedom. We'll speak with him as well. All right, so in England, I've got this all documented in my article with hyperlinks. So if you're not familiar with hyperlinks, you'll see highlighted words. You click on them, it'll take you to the actual sources from which we quote. In England, Barclays Bank announced it was closing the account of a Christian charity after protests from LGBTQ activists. Closing the bank account of a Christian charity. The charity, Core Issues Trust, CIT, was accused of practicing, quote, conversion therapy. That's, that's a term someone came up with, I think, in the 90s, a critic. But the way it's described is not practiced by anyone I know. Nonetheless, if you say people can change, you are allegedly practicing conversion therapy, and you are guilty and evil and should be stopped. To the point that if you have a Christian charity and you believe that people can change sexual orientation, sexual desire, gender identity, that they can actually change, your bank account will be shut down. Of course, trust said that Barclays informed them that their bank account will be terminated by September. CIT claimed that the the move came after pressure from an LGBT social media campaign that targeted the group for allegedly practicing, quote, conversion therapy. All right, that's England. Bank account shut down. Picture that's you, all right? I mean, this is a complete outrage. All right, how about social media? Social media. It's now reported that Facebook and its photo platform, Instagram, are banning any content, advertising, or promoting treatment to overcome unwanted same-sex attraction. Here's Facebook spokesman Stephanie Otway. This is a global policy. The policy is still under development, but for now it will be applied to content that provokes conversion therapy when we become aware of it. So what does that actually mean? It it means that if you have a ministry and you say, hey, we can help you if you have unwanted same-sex attraction, we'd love to pray with you, offer you counsel, refer you to counselors in your area, help in an online way, refer you to testimonies, your content will be removed by Facebook or Instagram. You say, you're exaggerating, man. Friends of mine have had their pages shut down. You say, well, they must be guilty of hate speech. No, no, no. The most loving, compassionate, gracious, kind pages with testimonies shut down. We've been saying this was coming for years. We've been warning. We've been exposing this for years. Others have. And here it is at the door. Let's go a little further. Last year, Amazon stopped selling books by respected therapists like Dr. Joseph Nicolosi. He was probably the most famous counselor in the country, professionally trained, professional practice, helping people resolve unwanted same-sex attraction, much of it totally secular. It wasn't just, okay, let's pray and drive demons out of you, all right? He was a secular counselor, Catholic background, secular counselor. So his books 
and other books were pulled. Books of colleagues of mine were pulled by Amazon. Amazon still sells Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, okay? They won't sell these books. And you say, what's in the, you read the books for yourself. And you see all the other junk content that Amazon sells because, hey, freedom of speech and sell the stuff. I mean, outright junk. And this stuff that's really helping people, banned. Well, they've gone one step further now, Amazon. Uh, there's a new book by journalist Abigail Schreier, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. All right. Now, Regnery Publishers put this out, came out the end of June. Regnery is one of the largest conservative publishers in America, if not the largest, very influential. You say, well, it's on Amazon. Yeah, but Amazon would not allow Regnery to advertise on Amazon. They would not allow them to buy ads because of the content of the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. L- look at this. <clears throat> the Office of the High Commissioner of the United Nations Human Rights Organization. I'm going directly to that UN website. Quote, practices known as conversion therapy inflict severe pain and suffering on lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and gender diverse persons, often resulting in long-lasting psychological and physical damage, a UN expert told the Human Rights Council while calling for a global ban, a global ban, making it illegal around the world, encouraging countries to make it illegal around the world to offer professional counseling and therapy to people with unwanted same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, people of any age, of any age. <clears throat> so according to Victor Magrial Borlos, the independent expert on protection against violence and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, conversion is attempted through beatings, rape, electrocution, forced medication, isolation, and confinement, forced nudity, verbal offense, and humiliation, and other acts of physical, psychological, and sexual abuse. He said, these interventions exclusively target LGBT persons with a specific aim of interfering in their personal integrity and autonomy because their sexual orientation or gender identity do not fall under what is perceived by certain persons as a desirable norm. They're inherently degrading and discriminatory and rooted in the belief that LGBT persons are somehow inferior and that they must at any cost modify their orientation or identity to remedy that supposed inferiority. Now, if practices like that exist, of course I reject it. Of course, you're going to kidnap someone or for, force nudity, rape. Or you're you're going to take someone against their will and abuse them. Of course that should be illegal. Of course. It's covered under other laws already. Abusive law. I mean, it's obviously there are all kinds of abuses there. I don't know a single person on the planet who ever dream of doing anything like that. And what in the world does this have to do with someone coming to a professional counselor and saying, you know, I, I feel like trapped in the wrong body, but I don't, I don't want to get hormone treatments. I don't want to get sex change surgery. I'd like to remain married to my spouse. I'd like to be the father of my kids instead of the mother. And can you help me? That would be illegal. Here, here let me grab another headline here. Look at this. In um, South Australia, South Australia, religious groups and medical practitioners in South Australia could face up to eight years in prison if they try to suppress or change a person's sexual orientation, 
and to propose new legislation to be introduced by the opposition. Did you hear that? You're a professional counselor. Someone says, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel it's wrong in God's sight. I, I, I don't want, I want to be in a heterosexual relationship. Can you help me get to the root of this? Sure. Let's work together on this. Let's sit and talk and, 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 and try to understand where this is coming from, how we can help you. Illegal. You do that, go to jail for eight years. What kind of madness is this? There, Israel. Gay conversion therapy pan bill passed by MPs. There's an attempt to make this illegal in Israel. What in the world is going on? And what can we do about it? The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH, the number to call. So why, why this push against so-called conversion therapy? Why this attempt at a global ban? Well, there, there are two sides to it. The gay activist side would be this is harmful, this is snake oil. This is degrading. This is demeaning. Someone would say, my, my parents forced me to go to this counseling or this camp where they tried to deprogram me, and it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. It made me suicidal. It was only when I embraced my attractions or sexual orientation or gender identity that I finally found peace, and this is cruel and, and terrible and should be banned. No one should be subjected to this. That would be the, the argument, all right? The answer to the argument is... Oh, the other, the other point would be, again, the snake oil part, well, no one can change. It's a myth. No one ever changes. That at best, someone will have suppressed same-sex attractions. That it would be like a, a right-handed person using their left hand. They're always going to be a righty, even if they learn to use their left hand. So maybe you can outwardly function in a heterosexual relationship, but if you're gay, you're really gay, and that's who you are, so you might as well just be true to yourself, and no one ever changes, so this, would, this should be illegal. Like, like selling snake oil to a cancer patient and telling them it's going to work. So the, the issues that I have with that position, number one, many people do change. It's a document. It's a fact. It's, it's not. Uh, there's even, there are even gay activists, lesbian activists, that say, oh, yeah, sexuality is, flu- is fluid. People do change. And there are plenty of people I know they are not professional ministers, that you don't see their pictures out there, just living their lives, transformed, happily married, going about their business, heterosexual. They've been changed. They exist all over the place. This is the reality. It's fact. People do change. And more importantly, through the gospel, anybody can change. God can save the worst of us and make us into the best of us. So he can't, but he can't change someone's sexual orientation. He can't change and help someone feels trapped in the same body, in the wrong body. So, number one, people do change. So it's not snake oil. It's not a myth. It's not a fraud. People do change. That's one thing. Second thing is that plenty of people go through a program and have bad results. They join Alcoholics Anonymous and they become worse alcoholics afterwards. They try out a new diet program, they end up feeling fat-shamed, and they get fatter than they've ever been. 
they want to go a holistic medical plan rather than traditional, and, and they end up even sicker. They go see a professional psychiatrist to help them deal with depression and get more depressed and end up committing suicide. People have bad outcomes. Maybe you had a bad outcome. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. Maybe you were forced into something by your parents. I'm even more sorry to hear that. But no one here is talking about forcing anyone to do anything. And, and this is something where people are simply given freedom to make their own choice. What gives gay community and other activists the right to tell everybody else what they can and can't do in terms of their own personal choices? Who, who ever thought of that? Ban. You are banned if you are unhappy with gender identity confusion and do, want, do not want to get a regimen of hormones and do not want to be subject to sex change surgery, banned from counseling to help you to get to your root core issues. And those that say, but God changed me, or I was helped with professional counseling, I went the whole trans route and I was changed, silenced, you're not allowed to speak. What, what kind of world is that? Which gets me back to the question, why is this such a threat? Why? the attempt to suppress. It's one thing to say, you know, we believe this is really damaging and, and we believe this is harmful and we want to do all in our power to discourage it and we're going to get our stories out. Okay, then, then fine. Go ahead and, and do that. That's your prerogative for sure, right? But to ban others, to prevent others, to say you cannot, what is that? So why the threat? It's very, very simple. Very simple. Why deny the existence of ex-gays and ex-trans people? Because if you can change, then that destroys the whole born that way, cannot change argument. It's that simple. If this is not innate and immutable, then gay is not the new black. And trans is not the new black. According to Vice President, former Vice President Biden, transgender rights, that's the new civil rights. Trans is the new black. Before that, people were saying gay is the new black. And I heard from many black callers and many black friends that were deeply offended by that. This is the first, yeah, gays, lesbians may have suffered here in America and still may suffer discrimination. Trans people, don't compare that to the slave trade. Don't compare that to black American history. Don't compare that to segregation and Jim Crow laws, please. That's an insult to the civil rights movement. And then what behavior is associated with being black? No behavior. There's no behavior associated with being black or white or, no. What behavior is associated with homosexuality? Same-sex behavior. So there is a behavior associated. There's no association with skin color. Here's another question. And I've done this with, with large crowds and, you know, mixed audience. And I said, I'm going to destroy this myth that gay is the new black. I'm going to do it in less than five seconds. So I'll see a black Christian in the audience. I'll say, stand up, sir. Stands up. When did you come out as black? Everybody starts laughing. Since then. Okay, you get the point. You don't come out as that. That's who you are. Yet you have to come out, identify as gay or trans or whatever. So you can't compare it there. But then the bottom line here is, is that even if someone felt they were born that way and there was no scientific evidence to reputable scientific evidence to back that. But even if someone felt they were born that way, the fact is many people change. 
If you can change, then you can't argue for civil rights based on being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. You can't use the argument, it's innate and immutable. I was born this way and can't change. It's just like skin color. The skin color argument breaks down in a hundred different ways, or many different ways, maybe not a hundred, but many different ways. But it breaks down even more fundamentally with the innate immutable argument. Okay, I posted this on Facebook July 14th, and it's still up. So one thing we can do, Share the article that I posted. It's askdrbrown.org, stream.org. Share the article, Why Are XKs Such a Threat? Share it while they post it. Post it on your social media. Post it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you, Snapchat, Parler, wherever, wherever you use. Well, Parler won't ban you for doing that. That's the whole reason Parler is existing. But post it on these others. Share it. See what happens. All right? Is there an attempt to suppress I posted this. Facebook is blocking ads for, quote, conversion therapy, meaning counseling to help people deal with unwanted same-sex attractions. That's what they're blocking. If we knew some group was, was having people strip naked and raping them and abusing them in the name of conversion therapy, we would all be shouting at the top of our lungs, that is illegal, that is immoral, that is horrific. Stop it. Ban it. That's wrong. What we're talking about, the groups that are being banned in silence for alleged conversion therapy are those doing just what we say, sitting, talking, praying, counseling. Facebook is blocking ads for, quote, conversion therapy, as well as shutting down pages of ministries that help people wanting to deal with unwanted same-sex attractions. So let's get the word out here. If you found freedom from sexual brokenness with God's help, be it from uh, be it homosexuality or gender identity confusion or sexual addiction, and you feel free, then you feel free to share your testimony publicly, then post it here. Surely Facebook will not stop people from testifying to how Jesus changed their lives. May the Lord be glorified. So right now it's still up. It's two weeks, amazingly, and hundreds of comments and some great, great testimonies there as well. Now, you may say, hey, that's my private life. I'm not going to share that publicly. Hey, God bless you. That's perfectly fine. And, and you might say, Brown, you have, no, you have no idea. You've never walked in my shoes. You don't know what it's like to pray and cry and ask God to to change you and nothing happens. You're right, I don't know. I've never walked in your shoes. You're, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. I've never walked in your shoes. I, I don't understand what it is to be same-sex attracted, to not want to be same-sex attracted, to pray for it to go away, and I have no idea what that feels like. I'm not telling you I understand. What I am telling you is, number one, Even if nothing changes in terms of desire, God's plan for you is not to be same-sex attracted. His goal for your life is not for you to be same-sex attracted. And in the midst of those attractions, you can meet the Lord. You can be forgiven of sin because we all sin in millions of different ways. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be a child of God while you say no to those desires. Didn't Jesus say to all of us, deny yourself, take up the cross? I, I know good numbers of single heterosexual Christians that have never married that would have loved to marry but never met the right person <laughs> for whatever reason, never found someone that was a spiritual match. They would have loved to marry, but <clears throat> they didn't. They've had to deal with their desires, their attractions, and just say, okay, if God, if you want to be single, I'll be single. I have other friends. Their view is that if you divorce— doesn't matter what the reason is. doesn't matter if you're the, the innocent party. 
your spouse commits adultery, abandons you, marries someone else, that if you are a divorced person, you cannot remarry as long as your spouse is alive. That's their conviction, all right? So I, I, I have friends like that. It's hard. It's hard, but they feel they have to honor the Lord and say no to their flesh and their desires and their romantic attractions and their desire for companionship and find grace and help in the Lord alone. So friends, whoever you are, whoever you are, the key issue is, are you in right relationship with God? Start there. Are you in right relationship with God? Are your sins forgiven? Are you a child of God? Then from there, you grow in holiness and obedience. But take one step at a time. Great testimony when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I have been meaning to talk with my guest for some time now. He's got a great testimony, powerful book, Beckett Cook, A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. Uh, Beckett, so glad to have you on The Line of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Michael Brown. You know, I, I just did a half hour, the first part of the broadcast today, where I talked about the war on ex-gays and the attempt to even have a global ban on so-called conversion therapy, which, of course, is demonized in every way. But people are getting banned from just counseling or offering hope through the gospel. And it seems as if your very existence is a threat to a whole ideology. So here you're on a personal journey, but then you get in the middle of a massive cultural political war. So let's talk on the personal issue and, and, and give hope to others who, who are listening, who are watching, who may have a similar story. So Beckett, who are you? Where did your life begin where, where you realized I'm a little different than other people? Well, I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and at a very young age, in elementary school, I realized I was attracted to the same sex. And, of course, at that time in the 80s, it was very much frowned upon by society and culture. And and I went to, you know, Jesuit schools my whole life, so that was very much frowned upon. And um, so I kind of had this double life of I had to keep this a secret, and but I also, on the outside, I was very social and, and uh, day, you know, went steady with girls in high school. Mm. But... Um, but eventually, after college, I fully embraced that identity and came out to my family, came out to my friends, uh, and then moved to Los Angeles and then it then got and got even deeper into that life. And um, I still live in Los Angeles, and all my friends in l a were, you know there they were gay people, straight people, a whole mix of of people. but we we all just wanted three things in life we wanted to to have great experiences make a mark on this world in our in our careers and find true love and and that's kind of what our raison d'etre was and i i lived that life for many many years 
and because my friends were, we were all involved in the movie business, and, and so I was always invited to parties and premieres and, and the Oscars and the Golden Globes and the Grammys and all the after parties and, and, and Paris Fashion Week and New York Fashion Week. So my, my life was filled with shiny objects for so mm-hmm. long that I was just distracted. <laughs> and I never thought about God as a possibility for me because I knew I was gay and I knew what the I knew what the Bible had to say about homosexuality. So I, I knew, you know, I'm gay. I can, therefore I can never be a part of that club. And so, so, so Becky, what, what did you what did you think of that club? Did you think it was that this God really existed? Did you have to dismiss that or just say this is bigoted, man made religion? How, how did you process that? Over the years in L.A., I mean, it was kind of a slow process, but over the years I came to the conclusion that the Bible was an ancient myth, like any other like Greek or Roman myth. Got it. And, and I was happy to, to believe that, because I didn't want anything impeding my, my sexuality, my identity, my desires. Like, I didn't want anything. And so I always—my friends and I, we, we always kind of looked at evangelical Christians as the enemy— Right. Uh, especially like in politics, we we always demonized politicians who were, you know, conservative or evangelical or whatever, and so that was that was uh, that was kind of our stance. And and I was happy to to and I, I you know by the time in my you know later years in L in L A, I was a complete atheist. So right. And, you know, when I when I was speaking with a, a local gay activist in Charlotte, North Carolina, oh, probably about 13, 14 years ago, he told me when he lived in D.C. that basically every gay person, who, virtually every gay person who was an atheist, when he, when he moved a little further south, he found this, quote, gay Christian movement and all that. But you could understand the process, right? If this is the God these people believe in, and this is, you know, the big God that's out there, and obviously he's... He's not real because this is who I am. I imagine you'd feel like that. So did you, before God began to deal in your life, as, as we'll get to that shortly, when you say, okay, this is who I am, I'm embracing that, a lot of people just hear, well, that just means sexual promiscuity and, and, and rebellion and all of that. But there must have been something in you where you thought, okay, this is who I am. I'm, I'm finally whole. I'm finally myself. Uh, obviously, it was a life of sin. But did you ever feel that way, or did you always know something was wrong? No, I mean, I guess I, I always pretty much felt that it was, uh, once I fully embraced my identity as a, as a gay man, mm. I felt, I did feel whole, and I did feel like, you know, when I, when I finally had friends around and, and was in that community, I felt like, okay, now... I'm home. Like these are my people. Right. I don't feel alienated anymore, like right. I did when I was growing up in in Texas. Even though it was very subtle alienation, it wasn't overt. But uh, I I just felt like yes, I'm I'm finally at home. But I I do I do have to say that there, over the years in L.A., there was probably deep deep in the heart of my heart, uh, I did probably think that. There was some, almost in an Aristotelian way that there was something off about about my sexuality. Interesting. Um, that it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it, it went against basically. It went against nature. Right. So right. I kind of knew that instinctively, but I didn't. 
care. Like I just was like, well, this is, these are my desires, so I'm going to act on them. Beckett, I, I was reading a story from, from an ex-gay man, and he talked about the gay pride parade and, and his version of what you referred to as shiny objects, and basically saying, you know, we had to shout and come out and, and do all this, and part of it was countering something on the inside. Obviously, some are doing that more consciously than others, but did you find among your friends that there was an effort that was being made to say, hey, this is, this is the way we are, this is the way we're supposed to be, this is all good. Did, did any of them seem to be going through that internal conflict, or were they seeming just as uh, well-adjusted as, as any heterosexual you know? They didn't seem, my friends didn't seem to be going through any sort of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I did sense that, even, even, well, actually, my best friend who was gay, we did sense that the kind of um, the aggressiveness of gay pride parades and the sex, the sexualization of them, we thought that that was way over the top. Even when we were living that life, we thought that was way over the top. And we and I really did think, like what like what's going on here? Like what are we trying to prove? Because right. <laughs> this is like so extreme. What is so? I did have weird. I had reservations about gay pride and all those kind of uh, other activities. So there was there was some reticence about that. Right, and and I've I've talked to to folks who say, yeah, that's that's an extreme. That's not us. And you know, most of us just living our lives, trying to live our lives quietly, and we're not activists. And, and I understand that. So with with you had the Jesuit upbringing, the Catholic upbringing. So you've rejected that. Evangelicals are these evil, bigoted homophobes that hate gays and, and, and blame gays for all the problems in the society. I mean, that's kind of the way you're going to look at evangelicals in maybe a caricatured way. How in the world does God get hold of you and get you to the Bible and get you to an evangelical gospel? There, there are a lot of hurdles to overcome. <laughs> there certainly are, but God you know, is, could do the impossible. By the way, I just want to re- remark on, you know, in the, even in the 80s when um, Ronald Reagan was president, I remember, this is something that's funny because I remember gays, you know, Larry Kramer and, and all those, you know, the yeah. act up gays, they yeah. were blaming Ronald Reagan for AIDS. And I'm like, yes. wait a minute, this, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, like, we choose what we do, and if we're going to go into the back room of a bar and whatever, like, that's our choice, and that's... We're right, responsible so, for that. Right, some anonymous encounter at a time when there's a, a sexual epidemic going on is not exactly wisdom or the fault of the government. Right. right. So I always thought that was strange that they would, they would demonize Ronald Reagan for that. Um, <laughs> but Interesting, the, yeah. The way um, God got a hold of me was uh, I was at Paris Fashion Week in March of 2009, and I used to go to those the shows all the time, those runway shows, and I, I was at a particular after party, and this was after, you know, 15 years of parties and fun and, and exciting, you know, showing up at Prince's house where he performed in his backyard for three hours, you know, all kinds of experiences I had over the years. But I was at Paris Fashion Week, and I just felt this overwhelming emptiness. Mm. Kanye was there, but I just felt like I was so, I was like, this can't be my life anymore. I, I need to know the meaning of life. I can't keep going. I, what, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I can't just keep going to parties and having fun and, you know, being 
uh, successful in my career. And so I had that kind of seminal moment that night. And then six months later in L.A., I was with my best friend. We were having coffee at a coffee place, and we saw this group of people next to us, young people with Bibles on the table, which was a, a very odd sight to see in Los Angeles. I had never seen a Bible in public. Interesting. And we ended up turning to them and getting in, engaging in this conversation. And uh, it was an interesting conversation. And I, it's like, I just asked them straight up, like, what do you guys believe? I grew up Catholic in the Catholic Church, but like, what? tell me what your beliefs are. You say you're evangelical Christians. You go to a, this church in Hollywood. Tell me what you believe. So they... They explain their their beliefs, they explain the gospel, and then, you know, of course, after about an hour of talking to them, I get to the $64,000 question, and I said, said, well, what does your your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And uh, it was very, they were just very kind of frank and blunt about it, and which I appreciated. And in that moment, I had this, I had this thing where I, I just was like, okay, there's a slim chance that God exists. And if God exists, there's an even slimmer chance that homosexuality, homosexual behavior is wrong. And what if I've built my entire life on this false foundation and I don't know it? Mm. And so they invited me to their church the following Sunday. I didn't know if I was going to go, and I I had the whole week to think about it, because it was a big step, because it was kind of like almost betraying my... (laughs) my community by going to to this church in fact hang on just uh, one hang on one second we got a break i know you're on the edge of your seat but what a great story beckett cook a change of affection a gay man's incredible story of redemption this is probably a book that someone you know someone you love needs to read it could be a lifeline for them we'll be right back It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm speaking with Beckett Cook, his book, A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. All right, so Beckett, it's, it's a massive step to even go to a church where, where you know if, if what's being preached is right, your whole world turns upside down in a, in a moment. But you, you actually show up on a Sunday. What happens? Yeah, so I, show, I, I woke up that Sunday morning, and I was like, I guess I'm going to church today. And I, mm. you know, I, and I drove to, to this where it meets on Sunset Boulevard, had never been to an evangelical church, didn't know what to expect, walked in, heard the Christian worship music, and sort of cringed immediately because I was like, oh, I forgot Christian music existed. Uh-huh. And then, but then I liked it. I was like, oh, it's not bad. All right. And then I, I found my seat up near the front. I just sat by myself. I don't know where the people who invited me were. Um, I just sat there, and the, the pastor came out, and he started preaching for an hour on Romans chapter 7. He had been going through the book of Romans for uh, two years. And he starts preaching, and this the strange thing starts to happen uh, on the way to the forum. I so as he's preaching, everything he's saying, every word he's saying, every sentence is resonating as truth in my mind, in my heart, and I don't know why. And it's 
it's the first, I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat, and it's, it's the first time I was able to hear the gospel fully and understand wow. it. It was like the, my ears and uh, were open finally, and and so I'm, you know, everything is just kind of, I'm just flabbergasted. But I'm like, wait a minute, this is the gospel? Like this is good news. And so he finishes his, his sermon. He leaves the stage. Someone on the side of the church prays for me, which was really powerful. And then I come back to my seat. Everyone else is standing up, you know, singing and worshiping for the next thirty minutes. I'm sitting down just kind of because I'm a, a little bit overwhelmed by everything. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just floods my entire body and mind and, and mm. spirit. And I, God, in that moment, God was like, in my mind, God was like, I'm God, Jesus is my son, heaven's real, hell's real, the Bible's true, welcome to my kingdom. And I was wow. just like, whoa! <laughs> it just started bawling for the next 30 minutes. I was crying and crying and crying, mm. and it was like Isaiah in the temple when he sees the holiness of God— he comes undone. That's how it wasn't. I was just, it was like the curtains had parted and then I could finally see the truth and the meaning of life. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I know where I came from, why I'm here and where I'm going. Like in that moment, I just knew everything. God just revealed it all to me. And, and, uh, and then it happened a second time. I got home from church and I went into my bedroom to take a nap because I was just, so kind of uh, overwhelmed, and God was like, well, let me show you a little more of my glory, and he just kind of, it was like Moses in the cleft of the rock when God passes by, and with yeah, his glory, yeah. that's how it felt, and I just, I, it, I, I started crying hysterically again, and I jumped out of my bed in, in the middle of my bedroom, I said, God, you have my whole life, I'm done, I, like, I'm done, you, I'm all yours, and I, I knew in that moment, I knew that homosexuality was a sin. I knew that it was no longer who I was. It wasn't my identity, that it was not a part of my future, that dating guys was not even remotely a part of my future. But I didn't care because I just met Jesus Christ. And I was like, I'm going to go with that guy. Like, good riddance to that old life because I love this life. Like, And that was 11 years ago, and I still feel the exact same way. That that's what's called being born again. That that's <laughs> what is supposed to happen exactly. when you encounter God and who He is and His grace and goodness, His holiness. That you you run from the old life into the new, and it's like the treasure in the field. It's like, yeah, sell the field. I want that treasure. Uh, uh, amazing. Now, now, uh, Beckett, you you came out to your family. You came out to people originally and said, "This is who I am. I'm gay." Now you meet the Lord. 11 years ago. So you'd lived for years identifying as gay and, and out and proud and all that with a whole community around you. Now you basically have to come out again. We've only got a couple <laughs> minutes, but what happened? Yeah, that was, the, that was the tricky part, telling all my friends who were my closest friends for, you know, 20 years, some of wow. them since high school who all lived out in Los Angeles or New York. I had to tell them and it was, it took me like a, a three weeks to tell all of them. And it was super shocking to them. They were stunned by it. And some of them reacted a little bit hostily. Uh, some of them, but most of them were kind of like, oh, I'm glad you found your path kind of thing. Really? 
but I, I, when I came out to my family, my, all of my siblings and my parents are believers. So when I came out to them, I mean, when I told them that I was a Christian, they were, uh, they were just, they were beside themselves. I mean, they were so happy and they were crying. They would all call me crying and, and were so, so happy. And they, I mean, that answers my other question. Somebody was praying for you for that to happen. Oh, yeah. My family was praying for me. My sister-in-law in particular was praying for me. She was fasting and praying for me, and she was praying Acts twenty six eighteen. Yeah, over me. Yeah, I know it. I know it. And, uh, and she prayed that for years, and, and, uh, and God, you know, God answered her prayer <laughs> after 20 yeah. years. Paul's message, he, he preached that people should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds— and, and a real, real transformation and opening of eyes, you know, sight to the blind, is, you know, Acts 26, 18 to 20, just what he shared with Agrippa, you, you lived it out. And Beckett, how old are you now? I'm 52 now. 52. Okay, so, I mean, all the arguments against change happening or better, you know, you refute all of them. You, you lived your life. You were doing what you were doing. You, you weren't massively drug addicted, suicidal, and just... You were living your life and realized something's missing. God has this supernatural arrangement for you to sit with these guys. He opens your heart, and then when you encounter him, you run towards him. You are still in the midst of, of an industry, of a world that sees things very, very differently. Are you finding people, as you share your story, that they, they, they know something's missing and they want to find the truth as well? Yes, I... I find that I've gotten so many messages from people, friends of mine, and, and uh, who are actually, they say that they're jealous of what, that I have such certainty. And, and I know that people in, out here in Hollywood, I know they're hungering for truth. They want truth because they're, because postmodern relativism is such a heavy burden on people. It was a burden on me for so many years. And mm. It's crushing. It's a crushing burden to bear when nothing, there's no objective reality. Everything's subjective. And so to finally know that there's an objective truth and that that it's just one truth, I mean, people, so many friends of mine, and a few of my friends have come to the Lord, um, but so many friends of mine are hungering for that truth. They, but they just, there's, I don't know, there's just kind of a disconnect to, to that too. But yeah, I find that people are really hungering for truth. You know, Beckett, uh, when I was reading uh, about uh, someone's conversion, became very well-known many years later, a movie was, was ultimately put out about him. But I was reading the story of his conversion. When he got gloriously born again, it was an amazing book, someone telling his story. I remember I was, I was on my knees by the side of the bed. I, I, I was praying, but I was so interested in the story. I was, I was looking at the e-book. And as I read it, I began to pound the, the bed, weeping, saying, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. <laughs> and we're so used to just churchianity or people just hearing, a, it's like a self-help message. Now, we're talking about meeting God and encountering his goodness and grace and holiness and the blood that Jesus shed for us, really changing us. And whether we're single or married or whatever our state, he is more than enough so, Beckett, thanks, thanks for telling your story, standing strong as an example. Uh, only you and folks with stories like you know the pressure and the abuse that can come your way, and your testimony with joy and grace in the midst of it is, is amazing. So thank you for standing strong, and thank you for your book. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate uh, it. 
All right, Beckett Cook, a change of affection. Definitely something you may want to read for yourself, but certainly a family member, friend, the ideal book for them. All right, <clears throat> yeah, is, isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful? And uh, just looking at some, some uh, comments on Facebook and our feed there, yeah, you can hear the authenticity. You can hear the genuineness. And I had read about Beckett's testimony, oh, in the last year, and thought, wow, it sounds so true blue. But to hear the exuberance and the depth of the encounter, and then, yeah, somebody, obviously people praying. When you have God explode in your life like that, so, so don't give up hope. Whoever you're praying for, friend, loved one, whatever their situation, wherever their walk is right now, whatever their state is, your prayers could be their lifeline. Literally, your prayers could be their lifeline. And then friend, friend, friends, <clears throat> or individual friend, uh, share the article that I wrote, Why Are X-Gays Such a Threat? It's on our website, askdrbrown.org. It's on stream.org. It'll be on other sites uh, over the next days. Share it widely on social media. It's important to get the message out, but it's important to push back against censorship. You say, well, Dr. Brown, what can I do? You can do that. You can share it. It's not like I get a penny for every, no, we don't make a dime. We're sharing it to push back against censorship. We're sharing it to raise our voices. If you want to help us financially, click on the dollar sign on the YouTube chat, right? You can click on that and donate to our ministry on Facebook, Ask Dr. Brown page. If you're watching, there's a donate button. You can click on that. If you want to help us financially, do that. Share this article widely. Get the word out. Yes, ex-gays exist. Jesus really changes lives, and we will not let social media or the law censor those stories.